My name is Trent Meyer, and thank you for joining us for the second episode of Bank Statements, part of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka podcast series. Joining me today is another member of our astounding leadership team. He has nearly 26 years of experience at the Federal Home Loan Bank, and I'm sure many of you have met with him through on-site visits or one of our many events that we put on. It is my pleasure to introduce our Chief Business Officer, Mr. Dan Hess. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, you bet, Trent. Thank you for having me. And hello, everyone. Absolutely. Looking forward to our conversation. So, Dan, last episode, Mark Yardley and I had a conversation about the cooperative structure of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka. As part of that conversation, we touched on capital stock and member ownership, as well as highlighted the dividend and its benefits. For this episode, I thought it would be important for us to dive a little bit deeper and discuss some of the intricacies of capital stock, how it's set up, how our members can gain more of it, and the benefits that it can provide through those dividends. Now, there's so many ins and outs when it comes to capital stock that it sure can get confusing at times. I know I myself have been confused multiple occasions. Uh, So I think it's always good to continue education on this topic. Now, with that said, the best place to start is always from the beginning. And in this case, that comes when a member applies to be a part of the Federal Home Loan Bank. At that time, there, of course, is a stock requirement. Could you talk us through the details of this class of stock and how the amount a member will purchase is calculated? Absolutely. And, and hey, I'm really glad that you're taking the time to help our members better understand our capital structure and how it supports the cooperative structure of FHL Bank Topeka. You know, I did listen to your podcast uh, last go around with Mark, and you guys did a great job explaining both Class A and Class B stock requirements, and really discuss the concept of the Class A or the membership stock being the ante that's tied to membership with the goal of keeping that buy-in fairly low. And really that low buy-in, it allows members and even relatively large members easy access to membership with the requirement only being 0.1% of the member's total assets, and that's capped at 500000 you know, the requirement, it is recalculated annually uh, based on the member's year-end total assets uh, with, you know, again, with our requirement being relatively low within the FHL bank system. So many of the banks have relatively larger membership stock purchase requirements. Really, our thought in developing the capital plan was to keep the buy-in fairly low, just to allow, again, that ease of access uh, to the home loan bank, but then also to provide some level of support, you know, of our our members' ability to use our products. Yeah, that makes sense. So so class A or membership stock is really where being a part of this cooperative and having ownership in the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka begins. And it sounds like we try to keep that buy-in, that ante, that cost of membership very low to allow members easy access to our products. Now, from there, of course, we have a second class of stock that's more closely tied to the activity that members do with us. Can you walk us through the details of this activity-based stock and how members can acquire it? You bet. And, you know, really, if you think about the purpose of capital stock and the investment that members make in the cooperative, the purpose is for that capital to support the products that they use and the assets or the exposures that we have on our balance sheet. So, you know, really, as Mark described on the last podcast, the activity stock requirements really the key to the cooperative dividend philosophy. Uh, 
So as members' product use ex exceeds the amounts that are supported by their Class A or their membership stock, they'll purchase additional activity stock, so the Class B shares, and those are used to support those assets or exposures on our balance sheet. You know, and at the same time, uh, that activity stock, it provides a higher yield back to the members that's tied specifically, you know, to their increased use and support of our cooperative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so just to recap a little bit, members have this class A stock requirement to be a part of our, of our institution of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka. And then they start to acquire additional stock as they do activity. Now, you mentioned that they must always have stock to support various levels of activity. Is the class A or the membership stock first used in that calculation of support? And then once that runs out, they start acquiring class B shares. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it works. And, you know, really time flies, but, uh, you know, in the past year or so, we've, we've implemented, you know, additional activity-based stock requirements related to MPF and letters of credit. And that's in addition to our traditional requirement on advances. And really those capital plan changes, while they help bolster the capital support on our balance sheet, they also provide more equity, you know, in terms of the distribution of our earnings back to the members that are supporting the cooperative. But, you know, as exactly as you described, Trent, the, the Class A stock will support some level of product use. And really, that's going to be based on the products that members use. So, for example, sure. advances carry that stock requirement of four and a half percent of the outstanding balance. Uh, the MPF requirement is set at 3% of the member's outstanding balance of MPF loans. That's also capped at 3% of their total assets. So for smaller members that have larger volumes of mortgages that they're selling into the program, they do have a cap uh, in terms of the amount of stock that they're required to hold in support of those mortgages. And then the letter of credit requirement that I mentioned, that's, actually, that's only 25 basis points of the outstanding amount. So, you know, the members class A stock can be used to support any of those products or a variety of those products. So just as an illustration, if we assumed a member is required to purchase the capped amount of class A stock, which would mean that their total assets exceed 500 million. So they're capped at that 500,000 uh, maximum amount of class A that would actually support a little more than 11 million in advances. So similarly, uh, the stock would also support almost 17 million in MPF balances. Now, our average member actually is required to hold around 250,000 in membership stock. Uh, so, so think of that hurdle rate as essentially half of what I just described. So anytime they would get over, say, five and a half million in advances, or uh, I guess it'd be 8.5 million in MPF balances, that's when they would start to purchase additional Class B shares to support, you know, that increased business uh, that they're doing with the bank. So, you know, as we discussed earlier, the Class B stock provides an increased yield back to the members. So last quarter, uh, we paid five and a quarter per annum on the Class B shares and 25 basis points on the Class A. So certainly the Class B uh, dividend, you know, is higher. And again, that supports that cooperative uh, dividend philosophy that we have here at the bank. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And it sounds like there's this sort of, class A hurdle, if you will, 
to get the member into a position where they can start to obtain additional class B shares based on their usage at different levels with different products, as you described. But in essence, at the end of the day, the more a member uses us, the more stock they're able to acquire and take advantage of some of these dividends. So some of our listeners, they might be wondering, why is it good for me to obtain more FHLB stock? Why do I want more? And, you know, we just kind of alluded to that benefit and that was the dividend income. Can you talk us through in a little bit more detail, the dividends that are received on each type of stock and why that's a good thing for the members where that comes into play? Yeah, it really is a critical, you know, component of the membership with, with a home loan bank or certainly with FHL Bank Topeka. And really a simple way to kind of approach uh, that concept or that analysis is to compare the stock yield uh, that they receive to an alternative investment yield with really that increased yield on the stock being treated as a reduction in their product cost or as an enhancement to the earnings that they receive by selling loans into the MPF program. So just as an example, Trent, if a member considers the interest on excess reserve paid by the Fed as a reasonable alternative yield, you know, that yields currently 10 basis points. And so when compared to our class B yield, the member's picking up an additional 5.15% in increased yield. And so if we take that additional yield and multiply that times the uh, percentage stock requirement associated with product, that'll provide us that cost reduction or the increased revenue uh, that's tied to, you know, their outstanding uh, balances of product use. So again, just as a, a quick example, so advances, again, carry that requirement of four and a half percent. So if we multiply that increased yield of 5.15%, by that 4.5% stock requirement, the cost on advances are actually reduced by 23 basis points because of the higher yield on the stock. So that, that's kind of that concept. Now, similar, similarly, you know, if we look at MPF, uh, again, that stock requirement's 3%. And, and if we uh, you know, calculate or take that 3% relative to the increased yield of 5.15%, that would the math would calculate that you know that provides an additional 15 basis points in ongoing income that's tied to the members MPF loans and those members that are familiar with MPF know that they receive a credit enhancement fee you know because they provide the credit support of those mortgages on our balance sheet uh, so that 15 basis points is in, in addition to that 10 basis points that we're paying them on the the credit enhancement fee which is just another source of income uh, that improves the execution, you know, on those loans that they're selling us. And then just lastly, just to bring it all home, because the capital requirements on letters of credit are fairly small, you know, the dividend, uh, the dividends uh, lessen our members' cost by just a little more than a basis point. And while that sounds small, you know, relative to a fee of 12 and a half basis points, it certainly helps lower the cost on letters of credit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's certainly a huge cost benefit to using our products when you factor in this, what I like to call dividend effect. And I think that this is something that our members often forget when they're doing price comparisons on various different products across the board. And I will say everything that you described there sometimes can come off as confusing to people, but our account managers are so well-versed in how the dividend benefit works. And they have such good tools to illustrate this on a member specific basis that if anybody wants to learn more about this, or they think that they'd like to dive a little bit deeper into this conversation, I would highly encourage them to reach out to those account managers. 
but with this dividend in mind, could you give us an example of how it impacts borrowing rates? Maybe reference some structures that we still see members utilizing even in this time of very high liquidity. You bet. Yeah. And, you know, so we talked about how, you know, in particular, the class B dividend can lessen the borrowing cost by up to 23 basis points. So, you know, it's certainly interesting times with, you know, current interest rates on the short end of the curve being so low that, you know, members can really almost achieve an effective borrowing rate of near zero on their advances because rates are just so doggone low. And so really any of the products on the shorter end of the curve, so our overnight line of credit or short-term advances are are very attractive in this environment. You know, also we offer SOFR indexed advances. So these are variable rate advances that are tied uh, to SOFR as the index. I was talking with Mr. Michael Young on our lending desk the other day, and he mentioned that members can go as short as four months on these SOFR-based advances. And uh, at the time he had shared the pricing, on those as being SOFR plus 23 basis points. So the all-in rate uh, in today's rate environment where SOFR is today is only 24 basis points. So you can see members can really, you know, achieve a borrowing cost that is near zero or only one basis point on these SOFR-based advances. And, you know, what's really nice about SOFR, uh, the market seems to be moving to SOFR as an alternative index to LIBOR, but, you know, that rate truly reprices uh, relative to short-term interest rates in the market. And, and that should, you know, track fairly well to members' deposit rates. Uh, certainly, it'll probably move up quicker than deposit repricing as interest rates rise. But again, this is a market interest rate that, that'll behave very much like other, you know, short-term indexes uh, in the market. But yeah, it's really hard to believe, but, you know, that's where we're at on rates. You know, I do think there's good value across the curve. Uh, so, you know, we offer fixed rate products out to 30 year maturities and really those types of products can be used by members to help hedge interest rate risk on their balance sheet. Uh, they can also incorporate call options, which allow those advances to be prepaid without fees at specified intervals, you know, during the term of the advance, uh, which provides some very good value for match funding specific assets or using them for balance sheet funding. So really, I think the key is whether members need funding, right, in this environment or whether they need to hedge interest rate risk on their balance sheets. But certainly if they do, you know, we have some very good options that are available to them. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from from the sounds of it, rates remain at historic lows and having all in dividend adjusted costs at near zero. I mean, gosh, it's almost unheard of. Um, And so that makes some of our our products really attractive to people. Now, I know firsthand that most members are flush with liquidity, as you mentioned, but I always think that it's times like these where you really don't need it that it's important to take a step back and really look at your liquidity plans and make sure that you have yourself set up to be in a position to succeed in the future, whether that means interest rates happen to rise or liquidity have to, has to roll off your balance sheet at some point. So, you know, right now might be a good time to look into some of these products, see if they fit with your future strategies, maybe not necessarily specifically what you're doing today, but set yourself up for the future. So Dan, you know, thank you for providing some of your insights on stock and the dividend and the impact that it can have on rates or the costs of utilizing our products and services, especially when you add in that dividend. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with on this topic or things you'd like to share? 
you know, I just appreciate you reaching out to me, Trent. I hope the members found this, you know, helpful, this, this discussion. You know, one thing that I've learned in my career at the bank, you know, we're not the only game in town when it relates to wholesale funding or, you know, an outlet for our members' residential mortgages. And then also it's a very efficient and competitive market where at times, you know, our competitors can come pretty close to what we offer in terms of pricing. You know, and, and I think it's important to consider, you know, the dividend that members receive. So it's it's necessary and appropriate for them to take that into account uh, in terms of how that cooperative dividend can help enhance their revenues or reduce their their costs. You know, naturally being you know, a cooperative, we work hard to provide high value products. And we always want to be there as a reliable liquidity provider to our members. You know, really, my hope is that as long as we're competitive on an all in basis, uh, the members will go with the cooperative, right? And so I was thinking about this earlier today, Trent, it reminded me of one of our past account managers down in Oklahoma. So down in your neck of the woods, but uh, I used to make calls with this gentleman and he he would say something that always stuck with me. And that was, he, he would say to our members, he would say, well, if you have a need for liquidity products or the products that the home home bank offers, why wouldn't you do business with yourself? You know, and it's kind of funny if you think about it, but it's true that the that our members uh, own the bank. You know, they're our shareholders and they're our, our cooperative members of the bank. So I think it makes a lot of sense to look at doing business with yourself whenever you can. Absolutely. So, so thanks again for having me today. I, I very much appreciate it, and uh, thanks to thanks to all our members. Yeah, absolutely. And that cooperative message is, is certainly something that's important in members to consider when making their borrowing or funding decisions. And thank you again for taking the time to join us today and share all those insights. Great discussion. And I think our listeners are going to have a much better understanding of our cooperative structure and the ins and outs of stock and, and the dividend and how that can impact their institution and be beneficial for them. Uh, just all of you listening, please stay tuned for our next episode that's coming out in the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to have the opportunity to host some individuals from our member products division, and we're going to talk about some economic trends that they analyze on a quarterly basis and what those could potentially mean to your institution or so you can see what's going on within our four state region that we, that we service. So thank you all again for joining. And until next time.